0: Welcome to Mental Health in Minutes, where we open the door to conversations about workplace mental health and help leaders and HR professionals create safe and innovative organizations where our employees and our companies thrive. I am your host, Lindsay Recknell, a psychological health and safety advisor, a workplace mental health consultant, speaker, facilitator, and an expert in hope. Each episode of this show has three objectives, to discuss the future of mental health in the workplace to identify the best, most successful strategies for opening the door to mental health conversations at work, and to share the top ways we can engage our leadership in the workplace mental health conversation and have them endorse and pay for a positive culture shift within our organizations. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that our people need us more than ever, but most of our organizations have a long way to go until supporting employee wellness is embedded in the culture of our workplace. This episode is a resource you can use to start and continue workplace mental health conversations and my guests will share their experiences and what's worked for them. Excited to get going, so let's dig in. Today's guest is Trish Tutton, a mindfulness teacher and speaker. After years working in cultures where stress and burnout were seemingly the only way to success, Trish suffered a shocking loss and things became clear. While stress is unavoidable, it doesn't have to dictate our lives. In her work, Trish has taught the skills to live and work happier to thousands of professionals and has created positive change for her clients to become happier, more productive, more effective and successful without the busy badge of honour. You can find her as a teacher on the number one free meditation app in the world, Insight Timer, and she is the author of the Mindful Mornings Journal, all of which we will link to in the show notes. Welcome to the show, Trish. Hello, Trish. It's so awesome to have you here today. I'm very excited for this conversation. I would love if you would share with us who you are and what you do. Yeah. Hi, Lindsay. Great to be here, be on your show
1: today. Uh, my name is Trish Tutton. For people who don't know me, probably lots of your listeners don't know who I am. Uh, I am a speaker and a mindfulness teacher. And I I've really been teaching, practicing mindfulness for, you know, over a decade, getting close to, I think, two decades now and teaching for about a decade. And the way that I teach is really often in organizations. So I work with corporate businesses, I work with not-for-profit clients, and I um, do keynote speeches for conferences. I do workplace trainings to help employees just navigate, you know, what can be a stressful, chaotic world in and out of work using the skills of mindfulness.
0: I love that. I mean, 20 years ago, we would not have been having this conversation. You would not have a career in mindfulness at work. Don't think so. <laughs> how, and I know it's going to have been a, a journey for you to get to this place as well. Could you share a little bit about the journey and how uh, organizations opened the door for you to have these conversations at work?
1: yeah absolutely. Well, it began, let's with my own experience of really bringing my mindfulness practice, which started frankly on a yoga mat, uh, bringing that to work with me. So you know before having this business, I worked in a lot of not-for-profit organizations as an administrator. I did what they say is one of the top 10 most stressful jobs is an event coordinator. so I helped to uh, coordinate not-for-profit events and at the same time kind of in my you know off time in my personal time i was exploring mindfulness practices through yoga and meditation and i was kind of it was like i had these two streams of my life right my my work life and then my personal life and what i started to self is stressful but inevitably, one of the most stressful things about our lives is often our work. And as I was kind of, you know, building my career, I was navigating stresses at work, challenges, problems, clients, colleagues, bosses, and I started to notice that I was tapping into my mindfulness practices to help me manage those stresses. And not only did I notice that, but I noticed that a lot of my colleagues were really not as a as an under-exaggeration, but they were suffering. They were really suffering under the burden of stress. And I started to, like, I just had these light bulbs go off, like, man, this stuff could really help people. And so I actually ended up working in um, the conferences industry. And so then I was, you know, practicing mindfulness and seeing conferences come into our uh, our organization. And I started to think, this might be a really great place to start to introduce folks, you know, from the corporate world, people who maybe don't want to go to a yoga studio. They don't want to take off their shoes. They don't want to put on stretchy pants. They don't want to do yoga, but they want, they could really benefit from mindfulness
0: practices. I love that. I love, I love the evolution of it. Like it just feels, I don't know. It feels like a journey. You know, you, you introduce someone to something that has worked for you. So your lived experience yeah, and then get them to try it, right. You add that experiential piece to it, Mm -hmm. uh, instead of just saying, you know, this is good for you. This will help. uh, (laughs) Um, but it feels experiential. And once you have an experience of something, it can, you are, you, you internalize the value, right. You internalize what it, what it can do for you. That feels very, very cool. I like that a lot. Um, (laughs) So I know that a lot of the work you do is in helping people to become what you term as mindful leaders. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and maybe what some of the characteristics of a mindful leader is? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, in my talks you know i'm i'm constantly talking about leadership and i think that it doesn't matter what your title is i really firmly believe that every single person can be a leader and at the very least everybody in the world is leading one person and although your listeners can't see me i'm holding up my finger one person and who is that one person and now i'm pointing it back at myself so at the very least we lead one person and that's us and probably for the majority of us that's not the only person we're leading. Whether we have a title or not, we're inadvertently leading our families, our communities, our teams at work, even just our peers. And so one of the things I've really seen in my work with organizations, you know, it's interesting. I started speaking at conferences and then it rippled out from there. I didn't originally think to do workplace trainings, but I spoke at literally the first conference I ever spoke at. This was five years ago now somebody came up to me afterwards and was like, can we talk about you coming into my organization to teach my employees this? And it was like another little light bulb ding, you know, like, oh yeah, I guess that could be a part of this too. And what I've seen now, you know, over these five years of training employees and training organizations and teams is that change often doesn't happen unless the leadership is on board, unless the leadership is modeling the behavior, you know, and, and really encouraging it in their employees. And that to me is what a mindful leader is. You know, we have this idea that setting an example is leadership. And maybe we've said it so many times now that it's like, it feels empty, but it actually is very, very true. You know, we can only ask people to do something if we're willing to do it ourselves. We can't hold our team to some sort of high expectation and then hold ourselves to a low expectation. So one of the first things I say, you know, to leaders who are like, I want to bring this to my team. I want them to be more mindful. What do I do? I'm like, you need to begin a practice. You need to start being more mindful. And yeah, one of those um, kind of crucial qualities, I would say, of a mindful leader is curiosity, One of the hallmarks of being mindful is releasing judgment. So if you think of the way you move through your day, it's like every two seconds, we're like, something happens. Oh, that's good. Something happens. Oh, that's bad. Oh, this is good. That's bad. This is good. It's like a roller coaster that we're riding all day. And the other thing is too, with folks that we interact with often, whether it's our family members or the people, you know, we work with every single day, you know, 40 plus hours a week, we can make judgments about them too. We kind of get on this autopilot mode where we know that, you know, well, Linda's always negative about things or Robert always is skeptical and doesn't want to buy into the, And it's like, we have these assumptions we make about each other and mindfulness really invites us to be a little bit more curious about not only the people we're working with, maybe curious about how we can serve our clients better instead of the quote, let's just do things the way we've always done them, right? That's being on autopilot, opposite of being mindful, being curious about, how you can lead your team better, what your team might need from you and literally asking them those questions and opening up to possibilities that you may have never considered or seen before.
0: I was going to ask you what your definition of mindfulness is because mm-hmm. I wonder, is it is there one universal definition? Is it different for people? What's your yeah. thoughts on that?
1: So- I would say there is an agreed upon definition, which I will say here. And, but I do want to just put a caveat into it because it is going to sound so shockingly simple. And, you know, some of these words I'm going to use and the way I'm going to phrase it, people have heard it before and they they know that they should be doing it. But I also want to say that the simple instruction of mindfulness could take you a lifetime to continue to explore. So the generally agreed upon definition is that mindfulness is is about having your attention. So you can call it your attention, your mind, your focus, your awareness, having your attention in the present moment. And when is the present moment? Well, it's now. (laughs) And it's also now. (laughs) Now. And now, right? So having your attention in the present moment, and this is where I'm saying it kind of feels like buzzwordy, like just be present, people will say. Just be present, just be in the moment. And it sounds like so shockingly simple, but we as people who have tried it, every probably a lot of people have tried, it's like really freaking hard and it can take a lifetime of practice. So having your attention in the present moment, and that's sometimes where a lot of people end the definition, but there is more. There is more. And it goes to this curiosity piece. So having your attention in the present moment while releasing judgment over the present moment. And if I can just quickly share how we often do the opposite, because this is going to be way more familiar to your listeners than that definition is. The opposite of that. Is when we're in a moment, right? So I'm here, you know, chatting with you, Lindsay. But maybe some t- somewhere in my head, I'm thinking about, you know, the class I'm leading later tonight. And oh shoot, did I send that email? And I wonder if people are going to like it. Are people going to show up? Is that, you know, I'm not in the present moment mentally if I'm doing that, or I'm in the present moment, but I'm judging the moment. I'm kind of watching myself answer your question and maybe thinking. Oh, Trish, you're doing such a bad job. You're, why are you saying this? You're not making any sense. Nobody's understanding you. That's the judgment layer, right? And that judgment layer, if I'm in my head saying, Oh, you're doing such a bad job criticizing myself, I can't be present. I can't fully be putting all my attention into what I'm saying. I can't be listening to you because I'm back in my head somewhere. So, present moment attention really without judgment, without wishing things were different than they currently are in the moment.
0: Amazing. And it's so fun for me to watch you speak because the passion (laughs) and energy of which you share this stuff is, is, it's just awesome. Um, So as you're explaining that definition, and thank you for that, because you're right, it does feel it it feels simple but it's yeah sure is not heck not easy yeah. um, but as you're describing that definition i'm seeing myself uh in my stretchy pants on my yoga mat going you know and remembering when i attempt to do mindfulness practice of any sort um yeah. because i know i'm 14 steps ahead in my mind the it's the yes. present part that's very very hard for me Yeah. What do you say to newbies who like myself, who I've never, I've never felt like I've successfully achieved mindfulness and being in the present. Yeah. Help a girl out, would (laughs) you?
1: So I would, I would say two things. So a lot of us, you know, when I, when I share this information, yeah, I can, I can tell people are like, oh man, I'm rarely in the present moment. I'm so rarely. And again, our mind kind of goes to the negative, like, oh, I need that. I should be doing that more often. But actually, this is a really natural state for human beings to be in. So I would actually turn a question back to you, Lindsay, and I'd say, tell me what you are doing when you feel so engaged in a moment, when you feel so, so present. What is the thing, the activity What are you doing when you're just so wrapped up in that moment? It's the perfect moment. You're not wishing anything was different than it is. Can you think of a time in your life when you get that sense of full engagement wrapped up in the moment? She's nodding her head.
0: Well, (laughs) Uh, anybody who's listened to this podcast or my other podcast for any length of time knows that the the longer my mouth is open, the geekier I get. So the the initial, why I'm laughing is because the initial thing that comes to mind is when I build a spreadsheet, when I build a model, I know it seems ridiculous, but I get in that creative group. Like I feel like it's anytime I've, have the opportunity to, to really express myself from a creative point of view. Yes. I have never associated that with mindfulness. So make the connection for me, please. Yeah. So it's literally building a spreadsheet.
1: You're, you're in the moment. Yeah. You're fully engaged. You're literally like putting the numbers in, putting the data in. So do you, can you get that sense of just presence? You're right where you are. And, and maybe it's better explained with, um, you know, body and mind. So our physical body is always in the present moment. <laughs> yeah, true. Right? It cannot yeah. be anywhere else. Yeah. So mindfulness is when your mind is right there with your body in that present moment. So if you are fully, it, it also goes with focus, you know, we could say it's a fully focused mind. So what I'm hearing is when you're building that spreadsheet, your mind is so focused on that task. And that task, my friend, is in the present moment as you're doing it. So that's where you are. Now, I also just want to say, because I think you might be an outlier of being in in the data. I'm sure there's other friends of yours who love being in that data too. But what I will say just for your listeners is that what they might be thinking of are things like, you know, times when people tell me they feel this sense of like really engagement in the moment is when they're in nature, mm-hmm. when they are, um, if you like love to cook or love to bake, that would be a time folks who say, uh, I don't play an instrument, but folks who play instruments, they say that is a moment of just like your mind is merged with your body and you're just right there in the moment. Or, you know, I live in the Rocky mountains in Alberta in Banff National Park, people who are skiers, right? Backcountry skiers skiing like a fresh line. They're right in the moment as they're doing that. Folks who are climbers. Sometimes it's the, the content of the activity needs a lot of focus that can bring us into a state of mindfulness or sometimes it's just something that we love. But it doesn't, We we don't only have to, you know, um, reserve those moments of things that we love for mindfulness. It is a skill we can train. And that's, of course, where meditation comes in, training our mind with practice, almost like exercising your brain, training your mind to be more in the present moment, not just, you know, when you're building the the spreadsheet, not just when you're
0: skiing the fresh pal. <laughs> well, and I think, I mean, there's a reason we call it a practice, right? Because it takes totally. actual practice to get good at this stuff. Um, So why does this matter at work? Other Mm. than from a leadership perspective and having, you know, mindfulness being good qualities of a leader, why does this matter at work? Well, I
1: mean, like you said, 20 years ago, you know, we wouldn't even be talking about this. I wouldn't have this job. I don't know what I'd be doing. But in the last kind of 30 to 40 years is when mindfulness has really come from the Eastern world to the Western world. And, and of course the Western world was imposing its science, you know, sciency view on things and saying, Hmm, what is, you know, is there something to this? And, you know, of the now thousands of studies out there around this practice, the, one of the really main things that probably some of your listeners who have not even really you know heard or talked about or you know dove into mindfulness as a practice would even know this that it's been connected with stress reduction. And as I said, you know stress is a lot of our stress is caused by work. There's a statistic that ninety percent of doctors' visits are because of stress, and seventy five percent of those people who go to the doctor for stress say that their stress is a result of work. So if we've got this amazing stress reduction tool, and then we've got this thing in our life that is just causing us so much suffering and stress, there seems to be kind of a natural marriage there, a natural ability for us to fuse those two things and say, hmm, how can we, you know, integrate these things? You know, at work, there's a lot of problems that come up for people, a lot of issues, a lot of challenges, whether it's just dealing with a cranky client or, you know, whatever, or the pandemic. I mean, you can go from small to massive problems that you're encountering. And while stressful experiences in our life, stressors, we could call them, while those are literally unavoidable, literally, there's there's not a single human being who's making their way through this life that doesn't have stressors, whether they work or not. Those are unavoidable. But the impacts of stress on our life, the suffering that we experience, you know, the illness that we experience, the um, tension in relationships we experience, that all is manageable. That all is workable. So that's really the connection to me of mindfulness and, and work. And a lot of the stress that we cause ourselves is actually up in our head, right? I'm sure we've all had this experience where you have five stressful minutes at the beginning of your day, and somehow that stress continues throughout your whole day, even though the situation is over. And why does it continue? Because we're thinking about it. Because there's a little thought bubble. You might be in the present moment eating your lunch, but there's a little thought bubble And all you're thinking about is you're rehashing that stressful moment over and over and over and over and over and over. And that's having a really deleterious effect on your body, right? That's putting your body in the stress state. You're thinking about the past stress. You're worrying about the future stress. So when we can learn to just kind of leave those thoughts in the background and really notice what's happening right now, that actually right now, things are actually okay, (laughs) right? It's not the stress from the morning. It's not the stress that might be coming tomorrow. Things are actually okay. So that's really what I, what the invitation of mindfulness at work is, is really about.
0: Mm, I love it. And it makes such practical common sense. You know, it's, it's so fortunate that we get to have these conversations. Now we get to explore these concepts at work as a tool to, uh, to, reduce those stress chemicals in our body. Um, I feel very fortunate to have this conversation with you today and and to be able to share this knowledge with people who may or may not know. Like like you mentioned, you know, um, you and I work in this space and I think we come across these ideas and this concept and we get the ROI of doing this work, especially in the workplace. And if we think about... um, the pure black and white mechanics of it all. um not it, not as not everyone is as lucky as we are to be immersed in this kind of in this kind of world. and so, uh-huh. um and I know the R- the concept of the roi the return on investment uh, for organizations is something you talk to organizations about because, you know, if a functional leader comes to you and says, "I just had this amazing experience with this, super intelligent, compassionate individual called Trish. We have to bring her to our organization. And the senior executive looked like at you, like you just grew another head. Tell me what your thoughts are on, uh, the conversation around ROI of this work at an organization. Yeah, I mean, luckily
1: I've got a lot of data that I can lean into from the you know thousands of studies out there. There's a really um, actually interesting story about if anyone has heard of the, uh, uh, it's an American healthcare insurance company called Aetna and their CEO, he had this like really horrible ski accident and he went through, you know, folks who go through really big health crisis, crises often just run the gamut of trying to figure out what's going to help them feel better right? Whether it's, you know, certain healthcare practitioners or it's medication or it's different treatments of kinds. And anyhow, he ended up landing on learning mindfulness. He was really struggling. He felt like he tried everything and he started to practice mindfulness. Somebody had said, this might help you manage your pain and manage the stress response in your body. And he found that it worked incredibly for him. And so he brought the practice to his company. He, he you know, went to his whole C-suite and said, I want to do this. I want to do a mindfulness program with our staff. What do you think? And everybody was super skept- skeptical. <laughs> of course, this is like, this is probably 20 years ago. And they were like, ah, I don't know about this. We're really going to spend money to like get our, get our people to close their eyes and try to be more present. What's that about? And so he said, okay, well, I'll meet you halfway. He said, what if we bring in the local university to study it? What if we get them to study what happens? Study the results. And so they had some amazing results that came out of um, their study. They had uh, they reduced their healthcare costs. They reduced um, their, their employees taking sick leave and stress leave. They improved their productivity. So think about this, Lindsay. If your mind is distracted, you are literally 40% less productive, right? If you're trying, if you're trying to focus on a, a task that you're supposed to do at work, you're writing up a proposal, let's say, as a salesperson, and you can't stop thinking about, you know, the conversation you had with your partner earlier in the morning and that argument and what's going on in your relationship, how focused are you going to be on that proposal? you're going to be so distracted. You'll probably make mistakes. Your creativity flies out the window. Your strategic ability flies out the window. So they found that actually each employee, I think I have this right, gained about 60 minutes, about an hour of productivity a week after eight weeks of practicing mindfulness. Um, And then there was one other, oh, they actually measured their employees, like they literally drew blood. They had people, you know, obviously volunteer to take part in the study, but they saw their blood cortisol levels, which is your stress hormone. They dropped the blood, their blood pressure dropped after eight weeks of practicing these techniques. And You know, I just want your listeners to really imagine, especially if they're leaders or managers, they lead teams, I want you to think about what the culture of your team, of your workplace would be if everybody was a little bit less stressed, (laughs) if everybody was a little bit more focused, a little bit more effective and efficient in their work, what could happen? What could be possible? So long story short, I do rely on a lot of the data. And then I, you know, get people to just just connect with their own experience of having a really distracted, wandering mind, having their attention divided and and realizing that they're not doing their best work.
0: Mm. Oh, you are just singing my language, sister. So good. (laughs) So good. (laughs) You know, and uh, connecting it to the data, connecting it to the evidence for those skeptics out there who still don't get it, which is fair. I mean, if you haven't experienced this, if you haven't had that experiential moment of uh recognizing when you are yeah. present and not being distracted, if that's yeah. not something, if you're not there yet, cool. That's yeah. that's that's great. Yeah. So then we have the data and the science and the analytics to back us up, the evidence to support how powerful this work is. Um, you know, that my, in, in one of my lives, I, I work in the science of hope and, uh, hope connects very, very nicely to, to Mm. mindfulness and Mm -hmm. compassion. Mm -hmm. And these are the same kinds of conversations I have, I get to have with people about, um, solving hope's PR problem. (laughs) Truly mindfulness has a PR problem (laughs) too. So we should chat about that maybe Uh, offline. uh, (laughs) Well, and that's it, right? Like all of the all of this language there's so much stigma around all of this yeah. language that if we could get past the stigma of it if we mm-hmm. could solve the mindfulness PR problem and let people experience the power of this kind of work. Um, Like you said, imagine how cool and how amazing our organizations would be, our lives would be, our communities would be, all of those things. And that's curiosity, Lindsay, right? Again, we all have so many assumptions and judgments
1: and autopilot things in our head that somebody introduces us to something and we just go, "Mm, no, no, tried that before. No, it won't work for me. No, I'm not that kind of person. So what I've found even in my own life is just this willingness to be more curious about, you know, everything about other people's perspectives. How much do we need that right now? You know, especially at work where we've got folks divided politically and on their beliefs with COVID and we've got bullying happening in the workplace. And we've got people who are so firm in these beliefs that they can't even be curious about another person's opinion and another person's maybe, you know, the way that they're approaching A certain a certain topic. So
0: yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it it Mm -hmm.
1: goes it goes deep. It goes really deep.
0: Yeah, I can't even believe that we are the end of our conversation. (laughs) This I could clearly talk about this topic forever. Um, I would love for you to share with us. I know you've got a (laughs) mindfulness masterclass going on tonight. Uh, By the time our listeners hear this, it will be over. Um, But (laughs) tell us more about those masterclasses and the other things that you have going on in your. In your organization, in your business, yeah, hundred
1: percent. So, yeah, I work with organizations all the time, workplace trainings, and I customize. This is the beauty of you know being a small business is I customize my trainings right to the goals and the desires of the organization or the team that I'm working with. So whether it's whether we work together for six months or three months or two months or we do a, a half day workshop can you know look all different ways and be focused on your goals. Yeah, the masterclass is happening tonight, but I do run them every single month. So folks can visit my website, TrishTutton.com and uh, check out every month. It's a, a masterclass around um, you know a certain theme. Tonight, we're talking about enhancing optimism mm. and the connection of mindfulness, how it can help us move from a more positive brain state. Um, and in those sessions, we do a guided practice. I give a little bit of a talk. There's opportunity for Q&A. So folks can check out each month on an, a different theme, uh, the masterclass. And I also have a, a, a journal that I'd love to share with your your listeners. It's called the Mindful Mornings Journal. And I created this product actually in the fall of 2020, just a a year ago. Finally, I had a bit of space with the pandemic and I realized that the biggest thing supporting me through this difficult time was my morning routine. And I thought, I want to create a journal that can take people through these these simple, I think it's about, yeah, four steps that I take in my morning, four mindful steps um, that really helps set me up for the day and set me up to face whatever's coming at me that day, the things that I know that are in my calendar that I'm like, you know, predicting and the uncertainty that life always throws at us. And I think that's been to me the biggest gift of mindfulness, especially during the pandemic, is its ability to provide me with these tools to navigate uncertainty with a bit more resilience. So that's available on my website as well, the Mindful Mornings Journal.
0: Amazing. We will absolutely link to all of those things in the show notes. So listeners, definitely check that out. Um, It has been such a pleasure to speak with you. Just the, the way you articulate the work that you're doing and how important it is. I mean, I'm convinced and, you know, I was already on your page. So I can, I can imagine that other people have also been, um, positively had, had their curiosity positively sparked. So thank you for spending your time with us. I look forward to continuing the conversation and, uh, joining one of your masterclasses one of these days. (laughs) Thanks, Lindsay. It's been so lovely to be on your show. Awesome. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to another episode of Mental Health in Minutes. I absolutely love this conversation with Trish about mindfulness at work, especially following so closely on the tails of my conversation with Scott Shute last week about compassion. Mindfulness and compassion are not topics we usually talk about at work, but hearing Trish speak of the skills that a mindful leader can leverage to create psychological safety at work, it's clear to me how powerful this concept can be. I also love the ideas Trish had for engaging senior leaders in the conversation. They seem super practical and simple to implement, which are my favorite kind. Trish and I both believe in the power of our leaders to create psychologically safe workplaces. And I know you do too, or you wouldn't be listening to this. If you love this episode, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast player. You can find us everywhere at Mental Health In Minutes, as well as on the web at mentalhealthinminutes.com. The thing we do best at Mental Health In Minutes is open the door to conversations about mental health at work, and episodes like this give us real things we can try to truly make a difference. I know you're making a difference at your workplace, or you'd really like to be, and you wouldn't be listening to podcast episodes like this one if this wasn't the case. I'd love to help accelerate your impact at work, help you really move the needle on mental health maturity in your workplace, and get people to a place where they're feeling less stressed, more fulfilled, and able to integrate work and life in a way that works for them and your organization. Being a people leader is especially hard right now. You might feel like you're managing both up the corporate ladder and down. And if the thought of figuring out how to best support your people and yourself feels overwhelming and impossibly hard, let's talk. Let me help you by doing the heavy lifting with resources and materials, along with training and facilitation, and you can get back to doing what you do best, engaging with and supporting your people. I have many ways to support you from full service, hands-on, to guidance and support from afar with a hands-off approach. So let's chat about what works best for you and your people. As always, I'm here if you need.